Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Elaine's mission? End the silence, stigma, and shame about suicide, ideation, and mental health. Sharing your burden can lighten your load. Elaine says we must normalize the conversation to make it easier for you to voice your pain and be able to ask for help. Reaching out to another human being when you're in need of a listening ear must become the norm. Please note, the Suicide Zen Forgiveness podcast is for education only. Some of this subject matter could be triggering. For those of you that are either grieving or having mental health problems, please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. And now, here's your host, Elaine Lindsay. And so it's really good once again to be back. And today I have a guest who actually hails from my part of the world, quite literally my city, in fact. Not at the moment, but I believe that's where he started. And from that, we're going to bring him on stage right now. Welcome, Stuart Thompson. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Elaine. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, thank you so much for joining me as my guest. I really do appreciate that. And I want to acknowledge first off that this is and will be in some parts a very difficult conversation. Stuart is going to talk about child abuse and anyone who may be triggered, please be sure and take care of yourself as you need to. It's important that we get these conversations out there because we cannot stop what we do not acknowledge. And to me, acknowledging all of the difficult conversations allows us to go forward. And I, I would like you to acknowledge and respect my guest today for sharing what is going to, in some cases, be very difficult for him, not only you. Stuart, I am I did introduce you as someone from my neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. I know that you are now in Toronto. And one thing I didn't tell you before is I actually grew up in Toronto. Oh, wow. Yeah, we we came to Ottawa from Scotland. And shortly thereafter, my father joined the Canadian Air Force, he had been in the British Air Force. And we were immediately posted to Toronto. I will only say two things. My mother immediately took us in a large British pram across the 401. For a that was her first encounter with the police. They were not impressed. Not impressed. <laughs> we, we lived in, I'll just be forthright, a slum on Wilson Avenue. Yep. And we, we moved from that slum at 8, 833 Wilson Avenue mm -hmm. to the slum off Keel Street on Seeley Drive. No offense to anyone who lives there now. I am talking about a very long time ago. But trust me, it was not the good side of town. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> it's sort of an odd thing to put out there. We, we have to acknowledge the things that we have in common, I think. It's, it's funny you saying that. I'll make this very brief, but it's funny you talked about growing up because when I first, when I was in Ottawa before I moved to Richmond, 
I lived at Rockcliffe Park, and then I, speaking of the air base, and then I moved to Sandy Hill, which was his home, pretty much. Yes, right? yes, it was. <laughs> so I can really relate to what you're talking about. Ah, uh, yes. I, as a child coming to Canada, I went skinny dipping in the Strathcona Fountain. Oh, wow. <laughs> My parents true. were so mortified, they almost left me there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All this sort of little jokes aside, let's get into the meat of the conversation. And Stuart, you are now with the Gatehouse in Toronto, which is, I believe, the support center for men and women who suffer child abuse. Yes, correct. And it's also an investigation center as well for uh, police services and the Catholic uh, Catholic services as well. Ah, okay. That, that's definitely good to know. Let's go back to where you would like to start your story and share with the audience what brought you here today. Okay, I love this, a good way to start. Uh, obviously, as you pointed out in the beginning of my introduction, I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and obviously originated from Ottawa. So I'm gonna make this, uh, I won't make this into a long story. Uh, I'll condense it a little bit and I'm gonna keep the shock factor out of it because it's not necessary. I, I think you already know why I'm here and that's enough. So I'm just gonna focus on the things that are such as important my story, which brought me here, and, and all the other uh, bonuses, would you believe it or not, uh, that came along with this, uh, tragic as it all is. Um, as I grew up in Ottawa, and that's where my abuse started. And from there, when I moved out to Richmond, again, it followed me around. And then I moved to the East Coast to Canada, and again, same thing there. But I briefly mentioned about those three places where this happened, but in the course of that time, over the years, a lot of things happened to me, such as my ability to trust other people, including myself. I came from a broken marriage. My father split up. I wasn't brought up by my parents really to begin with. I would really point that out. One of my father's second marriage brought me to Sandy Hill in Ottawa. And then from there, I went out to Richmond, but, and then I was brought up, I was taken care of by my father's parents at that time. Okay. But again, the abuse followed me around and that's, it did follow me around. And then I went up to the East Coast and I spent some time there in, uh, in Nova Scotia. And again, it followed me around there, but keep in mind, all this time, I'm talking about from the age of 12 and under. Okay. Right left Nova Scotia, that's where I made my abuse stop. My, my last offender that, that tried to perpetrate me, I, I fended him off, and then that was the end of it. And I guess maybe I found my way by that time. So I was around the age of 12 when, wow. I, when I stopped that abuse from happening. And, and I need to point this out as well, which is very important as well. But when my abuse was occurring... I, I got it from both sides. I had it from right away. My very first abuser was a man. And then I also had a woman come in involved, got involved with me as well. And that same person I'm talking about also violated me from a very young age, but she also took my virginity when I was about 15 or 16. Again, it's a, it's a very twisted kind of a story. It is a twisted story, yeah. but kind of it is. And from all that, the abuse that I incurred, it, it just allowed me to grow as, as a male, as a human being, what I mean by grow is discover who I really am as a child, because my childhood was taken away from me. So yeah. I allowed, this allowed me to do many things, such as believing that I was a good person, going to adulthood, like, which, which I'll talk a little bit more later on about, but it made me isolate from a very young age. I wouldn't play with other kids. I, I was messed up and, and I'm sure other adults not saw how I was, but, and including my behavior, but yet nothing was ever done about it. Like even telling my mother when I was, when I was, before I moved to the East coast, I guess I would have been about, I was probably about nine or 10 and I told her and then, but nothing was ever done about it. But then again, you got to consider the times, right? Yeah. Yeah. And not just the beliefs, but the times. And the times, there yeah. was, 
from my research, there was very little, very few people were ever charged with any kind of child interference. And that's pretty much what they called it back then anyway. Yep. And, and if they were charged, it was a very, usually a very light sentence as it still stands today. Sentencing in Canada for any child offender is very minimal in comparison minimal. to other yeah. places like the United States. And even in the UK, they're, they're very similar to our laws. And also they're, when they, their laws as well are very similar to ours. And, and so therefore when there is a prosecution and when, and when the judge hands down a sentence, it's very lenient, just like here in Canada, it just goes to show you that uh, these colonial states are, our laws are all very similar and how we, uh, how things are done. I'm just going to stop you. Sorry, go ahead. I'm just going to stop you for a second there. Cause I think that's a really important point. And something that I've noticed over the years, talking to other survivors, many of us mm -hmm. are survivors, mm -hmm. sometimes very little abuse, sometimes ongoing, but I believe it's almost like you set off an invisible light bulb or sign or something. Mm -hmm. And predators know. Mm -hmm. Abused children all have felt that when they've gone from one to a, a different place and then been abused by someone else, it's like predators have a certain radar. It's mm -hmm. like lions. When they go after an antelope, they don't go after the healthiest antelopes. They go after the ones that have a little something wrong with them that they know they can take on. In this case, as adults, they know they can groom. Mm -hmm. And it's I think it's really important to note that as of 12, you can make the choice to take your life back. Mm -hmm. And I think that, to me, it's just incredible and such a gift and I have such gratitude for your inner strength but I want to be sure the audience understands that it's possible even now it's possible and I'm so, sorry to interrupt but I, I thought that was yeah important. absolutely and, and I'm really glad you you mentioned that because I, I'm leading up to that anyway, that, that this right. sort of stuff is very possible. At the age of 12, when I did start to fight back, that didn't mean that my problems were over or that I was healed or anything of the sort. And I was sorted out psychologically because I wasn't, because really it left me uh, a lifetime of turmoil and hell, which I'll talk a little bit about now. And again, I won't get into all the details, but I'll tell you enough to know that you'll understand. So what I mean by that is uh, I can never concentrate in school. I could never keep a job. I could never keep a relationship, friendship, or intimate relationship. It was just impossible because one, I didn't know myself. So I didn't know how I should behave. Boundaries, very angry person, struggle with addictions. Like even from the very age of 12, my first joint, I smoked, got, I was in Nova Scotia. I was in a small town outside of Lakeside and some bad, some people I was hanging around with weren't actually the best people I was hanging around with, but one of the older brothers said, here, have this. You look like you're depressed. Have this. And then the worm, I swallowed the worm from there. Yeah. But yeah. then that's when I learned how to cope with my, cope with what I was coping with. And yeah. that helped. Let me be more specific. I'm coping with my numbness that I carried pretty much most of my life. And people who listen to this program are listening to your podcast right now will totally understand that and have had this experience to whatever degree. 
And you know what? I don't have to be specific about it. Doesn't have to be, it does not, it's not just CSA or childhood sexual abuse. It could be any type of trauma, depending yes. on what you've gone through, that yes. you will experience this, right? So I, I need to make that clear as well. It's not always just CSA. There's other forms of trauma that people will receive that will have the sort of sort almost the sort of pretty much the same uh, kind of outcome that I'm talking about here for myself. So that led into uh, a lifetime of poor relationships, addictions, everything from alcohol, drugs, and anything else I can find that would help me at the time to help numb my pain. I was always very good about holding. As I got older, I, I, one thing I did get better at was holding jobs. So one thing I can say is that most of the jobs I've had after the age of, I don't know, I'd say probably 27 or, or 20, between 25 and 27, I always kept the same job. My last job I left, I was there almost 30 years. Wow. And then before I came to Toronto, I was at another company where I was there 10 years. Wow. Right. But the, the reason why I did that, the reason why I'm saying that is because why is because it fed my addictions. Yes. So yeah. if I didn't have a job and I was poor with money to begin with, I'm the worst example. I destroyed my finances. I just, there wasn't anything I could just, it wasn't anything that I took upon myself that I couldn't destroy. And that included my finances. Nothing I'm too proud about, but nevertheless, that was how I coped. And to this day, I, I think of all the years I go back on my regrets. I don't do that anymore. But the years I thought about it and going home and macro, man, if I was a lot smarter with my finances, I, I'd be laughing. I'd be like some of these other boomers that yeah. are spending their, spending their winters in Arizona or in Florida. Yeah. Here I am struggling to get by, right? Yeah. Anyway, again, that's another story, but that's just part of it. But yeah, I spent many years struggling with relationships and addictions. And and your podcast is about suicide to begin with. And I think I need to mention this before I go any further as well. I am a survivor of, of suicide. I have attempted a few times. And the last time I attempted, I was in Ottawa and I ended up in the, I ended up in the baseline hospital. Oh. Right. And, and from then I figured out after that. Uh, I think I, I'd rather, uh, after that, I tried one more time, but I didn't get any help or ask for any help. When I tried, I didn't succeed. And that's when I figured out I wasn't meant to go. I didn't know why I was still messed up, but I just knew I wasn't meant to go. I, unfortunately, again, this is going to be a little hard to hear for some, but I did lose my younger brother. He was from the exact same thing. Keep in mind, he was a CSC, he was a childhood sexual abuse survivor as well. And he, and he died by suicide just before his 18th birthday. Oh my God. Yeah, it's horrible, but I still need to mention that. That's again, Mm -hmm. we're going back in time where conversation about suicide and childhood sexual abuse amongst other mental health issues were not talked about at all. And if they were behind closed doors, like in the Royal Auto Hospital, for example, and some of the other locked uh, doors, sorry, closed locked doors. Yes. Closed locked doors. And, and I don't imagine it's changed a whole lot today in regards to when you do get locked up or committed to the hospital. They feed you through pills, feed you full pills. My experience in Saskatchewan one time was shock treatment and pills. Oh my God. For a suicide attempt. Again, that sounds very hard and horrible, but I just want people to be aware that if you do get committed, these sort of things you'll have no control over. So the big lesson for me was I learned that if I do this, then I'm going to have no, I, I, it's bad enough. I have no control now, but I'll have even less control of my life. If I do that, and I learned that, I figured that out the hard way. And uh, even to this day, I still have side effects 
from my uh, ECT treatments. Yeah. Going back uh, uh, almost four years ago. Wow. Right. Wow. Uh, so all I could say moving forward, if anybody is going in to get help from CAMH moving forward, that if they ask you if you want this treatment, which they still offer, all I suggest is you do your research. I'm not, I can't tell you one way or another, uh, uh, other than my own experience, if you're going to, if they asked you to get that done, but I'm telling you, do your research before you get it done, because I did have side effects and I'm still not having side effects to this day after almost 40 years. Anyway, moving forward, that was a horrible part of my life. And I know one time I came back to Ontario and again, this is going to sound really horrible, but I came back to my brother's passing, which I didn't know about because this is going to be the weirdest part here. And some people may figure, well, what the hell is he talking about? Or maybe some people understand, but when I was committed in, in Saskatoon, uh, where I was getting those treatments I talked about, my younger brother was going through the very similar same thing here in, in Ottawa. But the thing was, I didn't know. We hadn't communicated in a few years because I moved out west because I wanted to get away from my beach. I just wanted to get away from my family because my family sucked at that time. They still yeah. do, but that's another story. But anyway, I wanted to get away. And then finally they found me, I guess the police found me in the hospital. And at that time, my grandfather passed away. So they flew me back to Ottawa and I uh, went to his funeral. And that's when I found out the full intent of my, of what happened to my brother. They didn't tell me they weren't able to get a hold of me when that happened to him. Oh. Is this? this is the part that's really weird. And I don't know what people believe or don't believe, but I knew I, I had already known that had happened and I had no idea. No one told me, but I just knew inside. And if I was to look back at my records at the hospital this day, I remember I told them that. Right. And then they committed me after that. And then that's when the treatment started. But to this day, I remember saying something about that. And, and again, it was just, I just thought it was really weird and ironic that it ended up happening that way, but he was already dead already. Right. He'd already passed away. Right. But I didn't know that, but I knew that in, inside, yeah. but I knew also how he had passed away as well, which was the weird part of it. Yeah. So we were both struggling with the same sort of trauma, right? I know his happened on the East coast and I even know the man that did it to this day. I, I still don't know his name, know what he looks like. Just like within my experience, I remember pretty much everybody, pretty much most of the names, except for the ones that they come out of nowhere and where I had, again, where I had no control, but I didn't get to mention that because if you have somebody in your family or your partner, a sibling, for example, and you see them doing weird things or things that you think are out of character on them, whether it be talking stuff like giving their stuff away or things like that, yeah. as an example, those are just clear signs that there's something going on. And maybe you need to reach your hand out and ask, maybe, maybe, maybe they might want to talk to you. Maybe they might want to talk to somebody else, but that's usually a clear sign of, of asking for help. If they're giving it away, even though they're not directly saying, help me, I feel suicidal, but something like that pay attention and even to your kids because your kids will do the same thing like uh, any mature child will know will do as I'm talking about they'll figure worth they'll, they'll think they're not, they're worthless and they'll want to give their stuff away and that's just a clear sign of what they're thinking or what they're potentially could be thinking right this is a tough this is a very tough world we're in now and I thought it was tough when I grew up but it's even tougher yeah. now right so yeah, all more reason to pay attention to your children and your brothers and sisters I don't care whether they're 10 years old or 40 years old, you need to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I hear this a lot and part of my mission, I want to end that silence, the stigma and the shame. Mm -hmm. 
talking to someone about suicide does not make them more suicidal. It gives them an opportunity to reach out. Absolutely. And that goes for everyone. Everyone. I, I cannot stress it enough that the talking, the asking, and then really listening to someone can save a life. You know what? I'm even going to give a, a plug here to Living Works Canada. If you want to learn about suicide intervention training, take the assist training or the safe talk. I'm telling you that right now, folks, if you're listening or watching us here right now and uh, you want to educate yourself better in this, if you can't commit yourself to a two-day course in assist, which is very heavy, I've done this. And plus, I, I, I've also I also taught this as well in, in the past. But safe talk is a real easy thing for you to do. It's only four hours and, and it will introduce you to helping adults as well as younger people as well. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Right. We will make sure that's available along with the transcript from this show. Yeah, so Living Works is based out of Calgary, uh, Alberta, and uh, they've been around for over 25 years, and, and they have given the assist program to over 2 million people worldwide. worldwide. Wow. They're one of the longest-running organizations that's developed this program. It, it's a wonderful program. Uh, and Not only that, do they, ser- they also service the military and uh, frontline workers as well. That's excellent. Anyway, I thought I'd throw that in there as well while we're talking about this. Thank you, Stuart. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So moving forward, so that's pretty much where I came from. I kept working. I, I mentioned that I, I always was able to keep a job, which fed my addictions. And the only thing I was never able to do was keep a relationship, whether it be an intimate or a friendship. Uh, I always found a way to trash it. That's pretty much the rough that I could go on for another hour about all the bad stuff, but I don't need to. I, I think you get the uh, general idea. I want to talk a little bit more about the positive side now of what happened. I think people will think, well, how can you find anything positive out of this? I'll elaborate a little bit about that now. And to start off with, I did find the gay house. It took me, you know, I, I got here. I've been here now going on 14 years. Wow. I came here very much a broken man. I know I had no self-worth. I was angry. I was struggling with addictions. And what I mean by addictions, everything from buying music to horrible eating habits to cocaine, alcohol, it was bad. Right. I came here. I did the program, which was the first, my first program was a 15 week program, just men, which that program still exists today. And to which I administer here at the gatehouse. And it's funny how that worked out, but nevertheless, I did the program. I and then I needed the process because it's a 15 week program. We talk about anger. We talk about shame and guilt. We talk about grief and loss. The very hardest part of this was the first was inner child, which is three weeks long. Right. We also talk about addiction. We talk about sexuality, boundaries, anger, loss. And grief. I guess, like I say, it, it's a very heavy 15 weeks yeah. uh, with a celebratory potluck at the end with an open week where we can go back and talk about things. Because one thing about doing this process after you've had this experience is that when you start to understand about these feelings, which you never really understood to begin with, you, obviously I knew what they meant, but I didn't know how they applied to me. Yeah. Right. I needed the process. This was a bit of a, a, a bit of a stepping stone for me. I had to chip away at it because I had very, very strong core beliefs. Obviously there were false beliefs, but at the same time, just because I come along to a place and I see a better way, doesn't mean I'm going to believe it. Yeah. Right. And not having, not having any worth for myself or not loving myself made it even harder because, because I'd go along and I would do something and then I would fail. And then I would think, oh, 
this was never meant for me. There was a lot of 10 steps forward, 20 steps backwards, and it kept going back and forth and back and forth. So now my steps are basically all forward. Let me rephrase that. I do have some steps going backwards, yeah. but they're minimal in comparison to what they used to be. And that's only because of what I've done for myself, right? Yeah. I took no magical pills. Nobody told me to, nobody told me to do anything. I did the work myself. What I had to realize was one right off the bat, and this is where other survivors will struggle as well, is I felt I was alone. Right? For the long, all my life, I felt I was alone. Really, but not really, right? Because yeah. I even met some, I even had some past relationships where they had the same experience, but at the same time, I was, it was dismissed on my part being, because I was a male and I should just get over it. I should be able to just tough it out. Never worked out that way. Never worked out that way at all. So I worked my way through, worked my way through, chipping away at it and, and slowly founding my way and, and did a couple other programs. And then I started facilitating at the gatehouse. So here I am, I'm still healing and yet I'm facilitating now, but keep this in mind, like what we offer here at the gatehouse is only peer support. It's cognitive behavioral therapy based. And what we do is we talk about things that we would normally talk about, such as our feelings. And for men, that's a big thing. It was for me anyway, because mm -hmm. I was taught never to cry, never to express myself. And if I did express myself, I was always told to shut up about it. So I would just repress it down. That's what a lot of women would go through with the same experience that I've heard countless times with the same experience and they're, and, and it's the opposite sex. So that's why I think women can really relate to that. Although it's at a different level, right? Yeah. And something that you said there is, I think it's real important because yes, men and women are different in a lot, but we need to understand that it doesn't matter whether you're man, woman, whether you're bisexual, transsexual, pansexual, whatever you are, Okay, we all have the same gamut of feelings, mm -hmm. every single one of them. Mm -hmm. To me, the similarities are much more important than anything that makes us different. Mm -hmm. And bringing us to a point where we understand whether you're a man or a woman, having the feelings of sadness or fear or disgust or hatred or any of those feelings that come up when you've been violated it is no different you are a human being and none of that should happen to anyone ever so all those feelings are relevant and it doesn't matter to me whether you're a super macho man or you're a, a girly girl those feelings are the same. You you want to see a girly girl who's deep in the throes of anger and grief? She'd take on the biggest macho man you ever found. Absolutely. And people have to understand that's where we are the same. At the level of feelings, the core of being human has nothing to do with gender. It just has to do with being human and being treated with respect. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I had a reason why I said that. And, and the reason why I've said that is because in our program, this was very important for me because 
the first men's program I did was 15 weeks. The second program I did was eight weeks, which now we've extended to 16 weeks. And we call it a phase two. I wouldn't expect anybody to know what I'm talking about, but the phase two that I'm talking about, is, we talk more about a story and we learn about mindfulness, we learn about pause, we learn about gratitude, those sort of things. And also our stories are big, huge things. But what I'm getting at here is that it's co-ed. And our programs are based on just gender. And also like we have for men, we have for women, but we also have co-ed as well, which is very important yeah. in my experience. And I know I've heard this from other men and women as well. I need to hear from other women, their experience, because our feelings and thoughts are very in line as you pointed out and, and never mind my abuse that I've received, but at the same time, I needed to hear from the opposite sex, yes. about their thoughts and feelings. It helped me process what I was thinking and feeling. And you can say what you want. I, I, I think it had nothing to do with femininity, like on my side or anything like that. It's not about that. It's, it's about no. being in touch with your core, your soul, your thoughts, your feelings, the, 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 the nuts and the bolts, if I can put it in that, in that context, yeah. right? Because we're all the same in, in that aspect, right? It's just sex that separates us, male and female. Yeah. But other than that, we carry a lot of the same thoughts, feelings, emotions. Sure, some yeah. one side may carry more one or the other and vice versa. But overall, we still all have those feelings, yeah. right? But that's the beautiful thing about when I did the program that I was able to get that side as well, because I needed it. Uh, I needed to understand the feelings, what women experienced and gone through as well, because it was very similar with my own. It just was a little bit different of a twist, right? And what I mean by that, this is what I like about women is that they're more sensitive and they're more aware of things, probably a lot more so than what men are. So that helped me immensely helping me figure out my, we call it feminine side if you want to, or my soft side, if you want to call it that, uh, helping me understand what I really truly felt. And if it meant dumping tears, it meant dumping tears. I already didn't give a damn at the time. I just did it, right? But it helped me so much moving forward. But I'm telling you, it's been quite a journey to even to where I am here today. I, I stayed on, I stayed on volunteering and, and facilitating, and I got into countless programs. I even got into assist training as well. That was part one part of it. I only did it for a few years, but I don't do it now because I'm too focused on what I'm doing here. But one of one of my mentors, Brad, for example, Brad Hutchins, he's a master trainer now with assist. Lots of great things have happened around me. And, and that was one of the things with Brad that, that I, I'm still quite, quite happy for him that it turned out that way. I'm still very much involved in, in with as much as I don't like, even though I had that training, it's that it's good that I had that training because it's very much involved in my work type of work that I do today. But my journey it's been so incredible i've done the programs and i even did art therapy i got a couple of pieces hanging behind me it's not about me being an artist it's about me finding my voice and one thing i haven't mentioned through our conversation is this is what it's allowed me to do with all this you know all this mind work and soul and stuff i've been talking about with thoughts and feelings has allowed me to find my voice as i'm sitting here today and, and without my voice, with a lot, uh, rather, without my voice, that would not have allowed me to do what I'm doing. And I know a lot of other people that have had this experience will tell you the same thing, because really what happens to us is once this, once we've been violated, we lose our voice. And, and I've been really fortunate enough to find my voice. And I had no idea that this was going to turn like this. Now I'm working here. Well, out of all the things I figured, I, I, I didn't think I'd be doing what I'm doing. This is a very tough job. I hear about trauma every day. I almost live and breathe it almost every day. And weekends, even then, it's still very hard for me to shut off. Yeah. But 
if you were, uh, I could say, if you were in my shoes, you'd understand, but that's a crazy metaphor to begin with, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. crazy metaphor. I wouldn't want you to be in my shoes, but nevertheless, I have a very strong drive to do what I'm doing. It needs to be done. Granted, there's very few men that are doing what I'm doing, but I'm hoping that will change with people like myself. When I talk about finding my voice, I'll give you an example of finding my voice. I, we, we briefly talked in the beginning. I've done a podcast for over 10 years. Yeah. And I was doing podcasts as my executive director, Maria Barcelos will say, I was doing podcasts before they were cool. Now they're cool. Yeah. They're very cool. Right. And there's so many of them out there. Oh my gosh. There's so many of them out there on any topic you wish to talk about. Right. Uh, From from really scary stuff to UFOs or to science, anything at all. But it's allowed me to do a podcast. I've I've, I've written my story a few times. I've not written a book yet. I've provided my story to, to one person who put my story in a book, but I'm in the process of in your own. It, it, I think I'm probably going to do my own. I, I have got quite a story, but I've just been trying to figure out what direction I'm going to go with that. But again, that's another topic in itself. But I haven't told you was so when I talk about finding my voice, one of the big things for me in my life, I thought was really incredible was that I got to speak at the World Health Organization. Yeah. And how many people can say that I've done that? And then I went on this, and then I went on this, and then I was on this platform where I got to speak with a bunch of different people from internationally from all over the place. But it's brought me on to a whole bunch of other things. Now, for example, now myself and four others, we have created what we call Survivors Council of Canada. So what we are, we're advocates, sorry about that. Oops. So basically what this does, it gives us, it gives me a voice. It gives everyone a voice. So basically we're knocking on Safety Canada. We're, as an example, that's just one agency, government agency we were talking to, but we're talking to many other ones, but we're on an international stage now is, is my point. It's allowed me to speak internationally, which I never had dreamed or po- thought possible t- to be doing. I just never conceived doing so at that level. I just figured I was just a, I'm just a farm kid from Richmond, right? What the hell do I know? Right. And things like that, we never foresee happening. And I've had many other opportunities. I get to speak in universities, colleges, never mind that just, and not only that, but the community outreach is is something else, like getting out outside of the greater Toronto area and going into different communities and talking about what we do here at the gatehouse. One of the things is that if you, anybody was to look on our gatehouse, rather on our website, you'll see that we are not government funded. We've been surviving going on 26 years in June purely on grants and donations. And in the beginning, this people said that this place would never happen because you could not put men and women together that have, that have been sexually violated and put them in the same house and talk about the same thing together. Again, that's another thing that's been proven wrong, right? The clinicians and people in the neighborhood and here in the Etobicoke said that it could never be done and will never support you. They were dead wrong on that. Yeah. They're dead wrong on that. If I'm going to bring any kind of hope to anybody, I'm hoping that my words that I've spoken today will do. I believe that was, I, were, I believe that was not worth anything. I, were, I believe that was a worthless human being pretty much most of my life. But I had, then I had to, when I came here, I worked really hard on myself. One of the biggest things we don't realize is that, you know what? We were children when this happened. I was a child when this happened. Yes. I had no control over that. And if you've had this experience, I can tell you that I can tell you the same thing. You were a child. You had no control over what happened to you until you were able to fight back. But the problem with that is like me, I took on that blame and my groomers put that blame on to me. 
And it doesn't help if they threaten to hurt you or your family on top of that. Never mind. You're scared enough as it is being a kid because you have no control over what's happening. You have no control over your body and how your body reacts. Maybe you could be feeling shame from that too as well. Yes, you didn't want that, but you you need to understand as a child, even as a young adult or like a, like a teenager, 11, 12, as your body's starting to develop, your body's going to react in ways you have no control over. Control over. No matter what you say or do, your body will react more than you realize. So, you know, your body may have reacted that way. It doesn't mean that you enjoyed it. It doesn't mean that you wanted it. It just means you didn't have any control over it and your body reacted as it's supposed to do. If you do the science and you talk to your doctor, he'll tell you the same thing. You could be tied up. Uh, Okay, I don't need to say that, but you could be, uh, uh, your body will react regardless whether you have any control over it or not, is what I'm trying to say. My outcome, believe it or not, has turned out to be a gift. And that's a really hard thing, I'm sure, for most people to figure out. How can that be a gift? I'm sitting here talking to you today. I've talked to people from all around the world with the same kind of experience. And they're doing the same thing like Elaine and I are doing right here today. And we're promoting that we can get past this and we can get better on this and we can actually have a quality of life to whatever degree that may be possible. But once you start to believe in yourself, as I have, then that is possible, right? And again, I'm saying I didn't take no magical pills. I wasn't, it's all about belief. And I wasn't told anything strange or out of the, out of, out of this world. It was, it's just about understanding about my thoughts and feelings and understanding that I was a kid, right? It's probably more complex than what, what I'm talking about. It is, it is a lot more complex than what I'm talking about, but I'm telling you, from my experience and from many others, and I'm talking about hundreds of others that I've talked to over the years, that this is possible to get past this and find some kind of quality of life that you can move forward. And let me tell you, I, I'm i not coming here telling you today that I'm perfectly cured because I sure as hell not. I will be left with this for the rest of my life. But it's my responsibility as an adult how I carry that out the rest of my life, whether it's self-destructive or as positive as I can make it or possibly be. And now that I've realized that it was never my fault and I was just a kid and I totally understand that, now I can move forward, which I have. And yeah, like I said, that'll always be there. But the difference is that I'm an adult now. I have control of what I do, what I say. Nobody else does. And if I want to be effing miserable, I could be effing miserable. But if I want to be happy to the best of my ability, which I choose to be most of the time now versus before anything is better than being what I was before. If I had stayed that way, I probably wouldn't even be here today talking to you. So I, I know that for a fact, I have no idea what might've come to me or what might've happened. But all I know is that when I came here, uh, uh, almost 14 years ago, I was, uh, this was my last kick of the can. And I know it's an old terminology thing to say, but old term to say, but really that's what it was at that point for me. You know, I, uh, at that time, I was struggling with addiction. I broke up with my with a, with a perfectly, perfectly good lady, and all because I was messed up and I didn't think I I, I didn't I honestly believed I didn't deserve to have that kind of companionship. Somebody who cares for me that much, I honestly did not believe I I deserved that because of my secrets. But you know what? I was wrong, right? And if you've gone through this experience and you believe that, I really hope that someday that you will believe that I believe because. Again, I fall back. We were kids, right? We had no control over that. And something I think it's important to take away 
is Stuart is incredibly grateful. There's gratitude in everything that he offers. And for me, that gratitude is what was able to be that those breadcrumbs leading back to a good life is the gratitude that we have for every little thing. And that is a choice. Absolutely. But uh, all I know is my journey is still continuing on and I'm not done. In, in the future, I'm planning. I know, I know we want to expand across Canada. We already have, but we want to start putting houses across Canada. As things move along, I'm hoping to be bragging about that in the next year or so that we've opened up another house, whether it be the East Coast or the West Coast or Northern Ontario, because it needs to be done. We already know the need is there. With oh my God, lockdown, yeah. that's when we expanded across Canada. And that's when we discovered, we always knew it was there, but the services were never there. If you have nothing and you have this, then that's something, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, I, I think for what, just everything you've offered is so incredibly important. And it, to me, it's a beacon for others to hone in on, knowing that there is a road out or a road back. You don't have to stay where you are. You just have to reach out your hand. And it may not be the first person you talk to. It may not be the second. But for God's sake, don't give up. Somebody will be there. Somebody will listen and give you that that fresh start, that way to get out of the hole that you're in. And through no fault of your own. Absolutely. Which I think is the most important thing that you've said in this whole conversation. And that, to me, is the super aha moment that allows you to go forward as this new man who understands his worth and his value and, and what he brings to the world. And no, you're not healed. And I'm not healed. And we aren't. My spiritual advisor has been saying this since 2004, so I better get it right. Mm -hmm. But we are onions. And you peel a couple of layers and you think you've gotten to the core. And guess what? There's more layers. Every time you peel, there's a few more layers. But I choose to take those layers as a challenge to do even better. And that's the opportunity that we have. Because there were a lot of times we didn't have any opportunity that we could see. It was all around us. But we were so locked in our own angst, in many cases our own victimhood, that you can't see. You know, what is it they say? It's hard to read the label from inside the jar. Yeah. Or to see, well, or to see the trees for the forest. Yep, that too. Yeah. The jar is busted. Once you bust out of that jar... You can see everything. And Stuart's right. It may be 10 steps ahead and 20 back. But guess what? If you go another few steps ahead, then every time you go back, you're going back a little less. 
So there's always that forward motion. And no, it's not easy. And yes, there will be shitty days. Okay, super shitty days. But the fact is, okay, I firmly believe this. If you just go have a nap, you don't even have to go to bed for the night. Just go for a nap. Those first few seconds, 10, 15 seconds, when you're waking up, everything is a clean slate. You can start fresh. So whatever you were stuck on, whatever was pissing you off or whatever you were wallowing in just before that nap, in those 15 seconds, it's not there. Nothing's there. You get to choose to go ahead and make some joy for yourself and hopefully others. And for me, that's what you're offering here as well. Yeah, thank you for saying that. One thing I always say, and, and I emphasize a lot on is, you know what, you're never too old to take care of yourself. I'm in my sixties now and I've waited in life to, to even do anything. Yeah. Not uncommon. Uh, for example, last night I, I started a huge men's group and the range range is there from 30 to 70. Wow. And my experience here over these years, I've seen this time and time again. And I've learned this even for myself. It doesn't matter how old you are. The younger you get at the nip this in the bud, the better. We're seeing more younger people coming forward, but at the mm-hmm. same time, they're still brought up with the same stigmas that we were talking about earlier. But we ever talked about culturally, for example, like yeah. that's a big, huge yeah. thing. Yeah. And in the greater Toronto area here, this is probably one of the most diverse. I know even Ottawa is a lot more diverse than it used to be, but overall. Toronto, Toronto was diverse when I was a child. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't changed. If anything, it's gotten greater. So yeah. So uh, I see this all the time. I've seen nationalities from all over the world come through through this house. Yeah. So I'm hearing different beliefs uh, from di- all different parts yeah. of the world, you know, which for most people here in the West would be really strange. But really, it's not because we're a lot aligned in a lot of ways, more than we realize. Whether it be the masculine values or the so-called traditional values of your cultures, whether it be religion or, or, or your nationality. I mean all over the board but i get to witness and talk to people from all over the world coming through this house and people think that i think sometimes i think people in the west here think that we're the only people in the world but that's a rather strong statement yeah. but nevertheless people are very unaware of outside their communities what's really happening in the world i get i get to see it full front Absolutely. all the time so I, i'm very aware of what other people are going through in other countries uh, uh, like here in Canada with CSA, uh, it doesn't matter. I don't care if it's in, uh, if it's, if it's in like, uh, uh, uh Asia or, uh, Saudi Arabia, Europe, uh, uh, you know, uh, any of the colonial, uh, uh, countries as well. I hear about it all the time. Like uh, yeah. every day I, I hear about that stuff, but there's a way to heal from this regardless of your culture. And, and a lot of times. People coming from other countries that are coming in here, they don't have what we have to offer, but they know that what we're talking about today is true and they've gone through the program and, and, and they've moved on, right? Yeah. It's wonderful because the, the one thing the whole world has in common, our secrets can kill us. Mm, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
But if anybody's interested, and again, it doesn't matter what part of the country you're in Canada, you have to be a Canadian citizen. But if you would like to do the program here at the Gatehouse, uh, go onto our Gatehouse website, which is thegatehouse.org. And if you go into our programs, there will be a PDF that you download there. And that PDF, once you download, you can't just do it online. You have to download it. People get confused with that. A lot of men mostly. I'm sorry, I don't mean to stereotype here, but it should be older men that can't do this sort of thing. But anyway, you need to download it and then fill it out and then attach it back to your email and send it back to Karen at the gatehouse.org. And man or woman, typically men will speak with me. The odd time women will as well, depending on their preferences, depending on their experience. But either way, we can help you find a better way. Right? As long as you're willing to do the work. And we have no magical pills or anything. It's just about you talking about your feelings, which you've had to ignore most of your life as I did. Right? And discover where those feelings fit with you. And you'll, be, you'll discover some things about yourself. You'll be very amazed, as I have about myself. I figured out that I'm a very compassionate person for myself and others. I had to figure that out, learn that out. And maybe that's the case with you. Just that maybe you, with your experience, you have not been able to show that or display that with other people, as I'm able to do now. So when I talk about gifts, again, this is just another gift I'm talking about that, yeah. that I've been able to get for myself or receive for myself from the hard work that I've done for me. I don't know what else I can tell you other than unless I got into the programs more and more, but I could be here for hours, but I don't want to lose your attention. And I'm just really happy to have been here today. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you so much. And in terms of your programs and what you have, I think it would be good if a little while down the line, we bring you back. And then oh, we I'm totally up for that. Totally up for that. Perfect. I love Actually, that. Actually, maybe you can return the same favor because I've listened to your podcast as well. And you are very, uh, I, 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 I love the fact of what you do in the community and it's so important and, and I would like to bring you on vice versa. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm always open nowadays to tell my truth. I do have a couple of quick questions. Sure. Just off the cuff. Yeah. Your Twitter, or sorry, I'm supposed to say X now, handle says, Unforgiven warrior I became. Stuart Thompson, I am. Explain the unforgiven warrior. This is gonna this is gonna sound unforgiven basically comes from I, I think I took that from the, the movie Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. And if you know the context behind the movie of the Unforgiven, then you'll understand where I picked that up. And that's basically where my mentality was when I created that account. I didn't put my name in until years after. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, funny. I I only remember seeing your name like the past year and a half or so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because my life has always been a secret. My life is not so much a secret anymore. Yeah. I've exposed myself to the world now. The world knows I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not keeping any more secrets. And yes, I was unforgiven and I have that philosophy to a degree still, but I, but at the same time, this is who I am, and this is me speaking what needs to be spoken about. Hope that answers your question. It does answer my question. I absolutely love that. And the whole concept of that, to me, is absolutely wonderful. I just want to say one last thing, and it's because 
all of the people that we follow in socials and all of the people that Suicide Zen looks at as guests and, and different things, certain things come through over and over again. Mm-hmm. And your kindness and your compassion and your empathy, it's a daily occurrence and it just shines all the time. And I appreciate all my guests. I appreciate the people that we're uh, in touch with through socials. But I just needed to say that to you personally because it's uplifting reading what you put out there. And that alone, I think, is an offer of hope. Oh, thank you. You're saying that. There's so much negativity on social media. Uh, I want to, yes, I don't talk about anything really amazing. I talk about some very hard stuff, but at the same time, I can possess gratitude and self-care and the world can be a better place, but it has to start someplace. I can be a miserable, unforgiven SOB, but at the same time, I can possess all that at the same time and show you that there is another side to being just unforgiven. I love that. I love that. So my last question to you is, Mm. it's a heavy load that you carry. The Mm. work you do Mm -hmm. is very heavy and can be a burden on your soul if you don't know how to deal with it. So what are a couple of tips that you use to cleanse you from what you've done all day and to help you stay in a more positive light, if you will, and not allow what's around you to tarnish what you've built? I'm really glad you asked me that question. That's a really good question. So I'm not really a religious man, to say the least, but I do believe in the creator. There's a greater power, but I call the greater power the creator. And mm-hmm. I, I give thanks to the creator every day. The creator helped me, help myself. And all I know is that's been my strength going through when I've had nobody. And that's what keeps me going. Like when I go home, I like... Most people would have no idea what my job entails. And most people would not understand. Yeah, I I have a really hard job. But I also, at the same time, I have a very rewarding job at the same time as well. If you've seen all the people that I've seen come through this house over the years, come in here very broken like I was. And find a better way. Then to me, that's worth it. I don't need no know gold bars or monetary there's nothing that that could ever give me what i'm receiving from the creator and that's what i get every time so yes i have a really hard job but i I don't look at it that way i my job is very rewarding in more ways than most people will even understand or even begin to appreciate unless you're here to see and i never told you but one thing i get to do is i get to my the staff and i we get to mentor graduate students as well like i only told you the tip of what stuff we do right? I get to mentor students that are graduating, whether they're masters in counseling or, or they're MSWs. For, I get to get my hands in there and I get to see these changes in people grow. And it's just incredible. Like there's, it's more rewarding. It's really hard to describe. But it's so rewarding. People would not think that's even possible doing what I do, but it is very rewarding. And that 
smile is a million miles wide and the wattage is just out there. I, anybody watching this will see the sheer joy you project when you talk about the people that you mentor, when you talk about the people that go through the programs. And I'm truly touched by how blessed you feel. And I realize how many you have blessed by doing what you do. So I thank you so much, Stuart. This has been wonderful. We will definitely be having Stuart back. We will get more into the programs and talk a lot more about the gatehouse and what's available to everybody. Because I think it's incredibly important that programs like this get out there so we can be sure and help as many people as we can. Those of us who work in this space each have our area that we can handle. And I have to say, Stuart has taken on a huge chunk and he's handling it beautifully. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for coming and being my guest. We will have all of the links to the gatehouse, the information available, everything and everywhere that you can get a hold of Stuart and any ways that maybe you too can become involved in the gatehouse and help Stuart in the work that he does. I thank you so much, the audience, and as per usual, make the very best of your today, every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank Bye you, for now, Stuart. Thank you. Thank you for being here for another inspiring episode of Suicide Zen Forgiveness. We appreciate you tuning in. Please subscribe and download on your favorite service and check out SZF's YouTube channel or Facebook community. If you have the chance to leave a five-star rating or review, it'd be greatly appreciated. Please refer this to a friend you know who may benefit from the hope and inspiration from our guests. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by the following sponsors. Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you rocking page one in the search results. Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Croon, motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City, Judy has been involved for over a decade in the City Street Outreach Program in Toronto. Lisa Sugarman, Boston-based author, columnist, and crisis counselor with The Trevor Project, America's largest suicide and crisis support network for at-risk LGBTQ youth, storyteller with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, survivor of suicide loss, and mental health advocate. Lisa's purpose aligns with the lanes as Lisa shares content and sparks conversations to help end the stigma of suicide and connect people with the support and hope they deserve. Do you have a story to share? Do you know someone you think would be a great guest? Please go to SZF42.com. And for our American listeners, that's SZF42.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again.